Thanks for sharing the mercy, really the mercy of Christ. It is for you. It is for you as well. And this is what the Lord says through Isaiah. We heard this from our reading this morning. Maintain justice. Do what is right. Do A plus work, the Lord is saying. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. And this sounds a little, well, it sounds like a high level to attain, and indeed it is. But I want you to know now that whether you are a foreigner or a native or an outcast, whether you're used to C work or A work or somewhere in between or below, you are joined now to the Lord through his word. Know now that this strange justice of God has arrived for you not by what you have done, though you have tried much, this justice has arrived to you not by what we have accomplished together, though we have made many plans for progress and our own justice, but now this justice comes solely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, who is God's own Son, who was killed for your transgressions, yet raised to new life, so that you may be forgiven, and so that you may know freedom this day. This freedom now is yours in Christ. Freedom from sin and death. And so Isaiah's words have been fulfilled. And the Lord's deliverance is revealed to you right now. That is, you are forgiven your sins and made completely new in Christ alone. Amen. Now, Isaiah was preaching that this deliverance and salvation would be for all who are joined to the Lord, whether born in Israel or foreigner. And this was pretty amazing and unlikely news in Isaiah's day because there were a lot of boundaries at play in his day, boundaries of ethnic identity or national identity. They were important. Political persuasion or social standing, those were important. In fact, the ability to show righteousness by the law was everything in Isaiah's day. This was true in his day, and it remained so hundreds of years later in Jesus' day. And you know what? It remains the case in our world as well. Life then, and even into our day now, is, seems to be more about what tribe you are from, whether the tribe is racial or political or economic or regional or based on a like of a sports team or intellect or musical taste. We have all sorts of ways to divide ourselves, and they're not all bad. Uh, they're not all evil. Sometimes, uh, we make light of this, whether it's a banter between the Norwegians and the Swedes. This can be fun with an occasional word from the Danes. Or whether it's Vikings fans versus Packers fans versus Chiefs fans. When I came to First Lutheran the first time around back in 2007, I met, I remember meeting Bob Meerdink. He introduced himself to me by asking where my family came from. And I said, well, a variety of places, uh, mostly in Europe. Uh, and then he told me that he was Dutch. And he said, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. I'd never heard that before. I thought it was rather uh, abrupt. <laughs> but I came to know Bob and appreciated his sense of humor. Uh, we had a good time uh, in Bible studies and here in church. Uh, this last week, my wife Erin showed me a short video. It started with a handwritten title on a whiteboard that said, 
which state is the worst? That's a tough way to start. And then it showed a hand listing of these states, each with a checkbox next to it. It was Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin. Then at the bottom of the list, as you're looking at this list wondering, well, I wonder what it's going to be, there was another option with a box that said, they are all wonderful. At this point, the hand put an X in the box next to Illinois. So, okay, so this not, maybe was not what, what was expected, but such jokes are all in good fun. The humor, however, points to the fact that these divisions still operate in our conscience, not only in our jokes, but in our conscience as well. Yet try as you may, in humor and in all seriousness, your affiliation, that is your identity, however you've determined what you think it should be, your ability to show you're on the right side of the law will not bring you peace. And this is what we're encountering in our scripture readings today. This is what Isaiah is beginning to bring, and Jesus dives right in. These are fighting words, actually, to say that you won't find peace in your affiliation when you've put all your chips into your affiliation, whatever that affiliation is. And so as we heard the gospel, we heard Jesus bring a new word. He said, it is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what goes out. And he's, of course, referring to the dietary laws uh, of Israel that the Pharisees were teaching. They were important. Can't eat shellfish. Can't eat bacon. Uh, all sorts of things you can't eat, and you have to do it on the right day in the right way. The disciples got worried when Jesus said this because the Pharisees were angry. Jesus' words undermined their own sense of righteousness based on their ability to follow and to teach the food laws. Now, if you like bacon, you'll like Jesus' teaching. And I suspect many of you do like bacon, and so you are free to eat it, thanks to Christ. He's saying eating bacon is not what makes you a sinner, but you are a sinner. Jesus is saying that, not because of what you eat, but because of your heart. Because you trust all sorts of things, affiliations above God and his word. And from this lack of faith, Jesus says, comes truly evil intentions like murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. God is concerned with your heart and what you are trusting for your righteousness more than what you eat, though, though that's not unimportant. He's, he's concerned with your heart more than whether you have properly washed your hands, though we know that also is important. But sin comes from the heart, Jesus is saying. Not by your following a checklist of things you've done or not done, places you've lived or haven't lived. And of course, the second half of our gospel reading is really the main course. It puts the rubber to the road. Here, Matthew tells us that Jesus left that place where he's just angered all the Pharisees, and he went to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And you may not know much about Tyre and Sidon because we don't hear a lot about them. They're not Jewish towns. They're Gentile towns. If you know anything about the New Testament, it's that there is a big division between Jews and Gentiles. This is bigger than Norway, Norwegians or Swedes. It's bigger than Vikings or Packers or Chiefs. It's huge. Yet Jesus went there. 
And not only that, a woman came up to him, a Canaanite woman, and started shouting. And she was so loud that the disciples told Jesus, send her away because all she's doing is shouting after us. And Jesus seemed to agree. This is maybe not what you expect from Jesus right away. But she came right to Jesus' face and said, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. And Jesus did nothing. He did not answer her. The disciples say, send her away. And Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not to you. So here's a woman who has lots of boundaries working against her. And this is what the law often does. It cuts all sorts of directions. She's not Jewish. She's brash, apparently. Not polite. She's a woman. That is a big distinction, especially in Jesus' day wouldn't normally come up to a group of men like this. But not only that, she has trouble in her family, and this is perhaps why she is brash. This is why she's cutting across all of these boundaries, because she has asked for help for her daughter from all sorts of people, and none of them have been able to help her. Yet she seems to recognize that here in Jesus is something different, a new authority, something that could help her. And so while Jesus has rebuffed her, the disciples have rebuffed her, she comes back again and kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. Jesus once again says, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, if you've ever had a dog, you know that dogs will get food however they can get it. Uh, we're experiencing this at home with our Harley and uh, Harley is uh, getting more and more brash herself, uh, taking food if she knows we're done eating, not from the floor, not the crumbs, but from the plate, uh, an errant uh, pizza crust or a uh, piece of bread here or there. She figures, if you're done, it's my turn. <laughs> this is how dogs operate. But Jesus, even Jesus knows that you don't feed your food to the dog that was meant for the kids. And he's saying to the woman, you are the dog here, and the children of Israel are the children that I am meant to feed. This is not nice language. While the woman may not be polite, Jesus also is not being polite here, but he's speaking the truth by the law. He's saying, this is how it works. I was not sent for you. But then she says this, yes, Lord, you're right. This distinction is true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she has come to Christ and said, You are Lord, son of David. I need your mercy, and my daughter does too. You are the master, and I'm at your mercy. Jesus then says to her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus recognizes here is faith. The Holy Spirit was at work in this woman who was not Jewish, who was not polite, who had trouble in her life and no solutions. The Holy Spirit had given her faith to trust that Christ was salvation for her and her daughter. And this faith was true. 
And we learn a few things. We learn that Jesus has the ability to heal, for one. But that what Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and the disciples earlier was true for this Canaanite woman as well. Now, there's something about the Canaanites that you should know. In the Old Testament, they are enemies of Israel. You might remember a particular Canaanite woman. Her name was Rahab. As Joshua sent the spies into the Promised Land, the spies were given protection by Rahab, who was thought to be a prostitute. Yet Rahab protected them in Jericho. And she was blessed. And God saved her when the rest of Jericho, her and her family, when the rest of Jericho was destroyed. There is something about how God reaches out even outside Israel, even in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, and even now. I don't assume that all of my hearers, even though we're in the Midwest, are Gentiles, but I know that many of you are. There are some Jews sprinkled in. Uh, it's an incredible thing. I always find it uh, quite amazing and uh, celebratory, but many are Gentiles. Yet now in Christ, this distinction, well, it goes away. Now Christ has come to you, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, whether you are Swedish or Norwegian or Danish or Dutch or anything else, however you have found yourself situated in this old world, Christ now comes to you to give you a new heart. In fact, a new life. You may be coming today with all sorts of worries. We don't often talk about demons in our day, but we have anxiety. We have worries. And you may be coming with all sorts of worries about what you eat, whether you fit into this type of righteousness or that, where you are from, how much you make, where you are going. You may be weighed down by all sorts of demons, but now Christ has come for you. Deliverance has been revealed for you. Jesus heals your heart now with more than scraps. He gives you a whole meal, a whole meal of his word in preaching, a meal of his promise in your baptism, and a meal of his own forgiveness in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. This righteousness does not depend on boundaries, but recognizes that you, sinner, are made new in Christ alone. Amen.